John 15, this morning our passage will begin at verse 17 of John 15, and uh, will then take us over to verse 4 of chapter 16. Oh, these are God's words for us, and in a sense, what we will study in this passage is, is very similar to the tone and the spirit of what we've just sung in this most immediate song. But for now, here is God's word for us this morning. And God in His kindness says this to us. Verse 17, These things I command you, so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world... The world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A master is not greater, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness because you have been with me from, and, and you also wear, will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that they are offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. You may be seated. Thank you, Father, for your word. Help us now for these few moments that your word would 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 permeate our time together this morning, that it would infiltrate our hearts, perhaps for the first time or, or afresh this morning, that you would open our eyes and see wonderful things about your son Jesus and about our relationship with Jesus, for we ask this 
in Christ's name. Amen. This summer, we are looking at chapters 13 through 17 of John's gospel. We are, we are noting that this is the, the last evening of Jesus before his arrest and crucifixion. Uh, and uh, he is having a very vital conversation with some of his closest followers. And so this summer, we want to pay a special attention to this conversation that he had long ago with his closest followers, because as it turns out, like everything else Jesus says, these words are still imminently pertinent to us this day, this week. Here in the context, what we've just looked at last week, earlier in chapter 15, um, Jesus admonished and encouraged his followers to bear fruit, which in accord, according to verse 8 there in chapter 15, bear fruit thus to glorify our Father in heaven and thus to prove that we are followers of Christ. And yet, and yet what he has said in that context is that yeah, and yet the ability to bear fruit that glorifies God and proves that we belong to Jesus stems from the very life and love of Christ. And so the real duty that we just saw earlier in chapter 15 is to abide in Christ. That is to heed his word. That is to obey his instructions. And, and particularly Particularly where he, where he, where he uh, uh, peeked out in the previous section was that the, the, the fruit that we are to bear most particularly is the fruit of how we would love one another. In verse 17, the first verse that we just read then kind of wraps up what he said previously in chapter 15, but it also transitions us to what he's about to unfold for us in the remaining part of chapter 15 and really spilling over into chapter 16 and, and beyond. One other thing that he said earlier in chapter 15 was that he was the vine, his followers are the branches, and that the Father is the vine dresser, the gardener. And, and, and on, the, on one level, as the, gar, as the vine dresser, it, it, it said there in a very sobering warning that he removes all non-fruit-bearing, all non-abiding branches. And yet the other thing he said in chapter 15 is that he prunes all fruit-bearing, abiding branches so that those fruit-bearing, abiding branches as they are being pruned, they're able to actually produce more fruit. I point that out just to kind of tie last week with this week because some of that pruning activity that the Father uh, is active in doing, I believe, is experienced through the world's hostilities toward us, which is what he's going to unfold and explain to us primarily in the passage this morning. And so what, I, I keep that in mind, what the, what, what the world even intends as punitive hatred toward us, the Father intends those same experiences to be not punitive, but punitive. 
The, the grace that the Father gives in the midst of the world's hostilities, that, that its, its hatred is simply leveraged in a way that prunes us so that we might bear more fruit to the glory of the Father and thus prove us to be even more clearly followers of Christ. Now, there's a very sharp contrast in what we've just read, particularly at verse um, 18, uh, if the world hates you, and I don't think he means if, and I doubt that they will. He really means if, meaning, and they do. So it's, it's, it, it's, it's more certain than hypothetical. Uh, really, you could even say, suggest, since the world hates you. Know that it hated me before it hated you. Um, and, and, and so the even even as we move on from here into chapter 16 and 17, we're not done having this conversation yet that's more clearly introduced to us in our reading this morning. Um, we, we, will, we will be hated by the world, and yet you won't believe this when we get to chapter 17. Even though, even though we are not of the world and we are hated by the world, we are nonetheless sent into the world. And that's a lot to sort out and a lot to think through, and perhaps we'll have, have even more clarity by the time we get through chapter 17 as to what that looks like. But, but what, what we're, we're told here is that the world will hate followers of Jesus. Now, in this context, what is meant by the world is not simply the, the created order that God himself creates and sustains and governs. What he means by world here is the people and structures that are opposed to Christ. Every culture does two, at times, opposite things. Every culture reflects the goodness and creative activity of God, and yet every culture, since we live in a fallen world, rejects the created order and goodness of God. And so we're talking about the world in that sense, that, that, that element of the world that is living in hostility toward and opposition to, to the Father and to His Son, Jesus. The community of Jesus will be hated by the world. And yet the community of Jesus will not be given the commission to retreat from the world. We will be given the commission to go into the world. And so there's two things I want to look at briefly as we think about that from this particular passage this morning. There's something we need to realize, and there's some things we need to be resolute about. What to realize is the first point. What to realize as we relate to the world. That's verses 18 to 25, and then it's uh, in chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. But then secondly, we'll look at what to resolve as we relate to the world. And that's verse 17, verses 25 to 27, and part of verse 1 and 4 of chapter 16. First of all, realize... We should expect to be hated by the world. Why? <laughs> On the one hand, it, should, it shouldn't be because we got it coming to us. M- meaning that 
we um, live a certain way that provokes and invokes by our own careless, uh, disobedient way of living. No, what our passage is underscoring to us is that we should expect to be hated by the world because we belong to Jesus. And I would add what's implied here is that, is that we should be hated by the world because we belong to Jesus because we are beginning to look a lot like Jesus. Now, on the one hand, this is not personal. The world hates followers of Jesus, not per se because it hates followers of Jesus. The world hates followers of Jesus because the world hates Jesus. And anybody that looks like him. Now, on some level, I don't know if you've listened to the conversations in our culture or not. On some level, um, the, 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 the world um, actually claims that it has no beef with Jesus. It, it, it actually says that it admires him, that he's a great humanitarian, that he's uh, an incredible teacher, did a lot of good things, and that, and, that, and that he's even the, I mean, the most famous word in our culture today, he's even a revolutionary, throwing off oppressive cultures. So there's a certain level in which everybody wants to grab a hold of Jesus and say, this is my Jesus, and I love my Jesus, and I'm all into my Jesus. But we have to be careful at that moment in our culture. We need to be wise to what's going on in our culture at that moment. What the world affirms and loves in reference to Jesus is actually a figment of their own imagination. It's actually a reconfigured Jesus made in their own image and likeness. They like themselves and they like their Jesus a lot like them. You see, when you, when you read the Gospels, you, 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 you read that the actual Jesus of history, the one revealed in the Bible, was a threat to cultures and to systems and to structures and to power. He was hated. I mean, after all, he got killed. Why? Because our passage um, explains it to us. Verse 22, if, they had not come, if, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have not been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Or he says it in verse 24, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they, they would not be guilty of sin. But, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. In other words, the, why, is, why is the Jesus of the Bible hated? Because of the purity, because of the righteousness of the Jesus of the Gospels. The only true historical Jesus. That it is, it, it, because he's the one who, when he becomes flesh, the God-man, he reveals and confirms the, the sinful guilt of humanity. It's, it's, this passage isn't... 
saying that humanity was not guilty before Jesus got here. What this passage is saying, though, is that there's a certain clarity to human guilt and condemnation that gets put front and center when Jesus gets here. Listen, listen to what Jesus said in John 3, earlier here in this gospel account, verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. In other words, speaking about Jesus entering into the world. And the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Do you see, see that? People, people didn't People loved the darkness long before Jesus got here. And people were under condemnation for loving the darkness long before Jesus got here. But there is something settling and definitive about the arrival of Jesus when he gets here. And he offers himself as the light of the world. And the darkness says, get that light out of my face. There's a very clear dividing line at that moment between Jesus and and the world. And here in this context, he's reminding us that, that that's, that's how they respond to me. And now as, as my followers, it's how they are going to respond to you. I was reminded of, of an event that took place on February 3rd, 1994. And this illustrates how, on the one hand, if people are allowed to reconfigure their own Jesus, they got no beef with Jesus. But if we, if we let Jesus be Jesus, and what I mean by that is if, if we grab a hold of the Jesus that is revealed in Scriptures, the Jesus of true, actual history, then it's not long before um, we start firing back in hatred against him. Do you remember sweet little old Mother Teresa? Uh, She worked an orphanage in India. And on the one hand, everybody loved sweet little old Mother Teresa. And I watched, I'm reminded of it, I watched a video clip of it this week on YouTube. and, And she spoke at the National Prayer Breakfast in 1994, February the 3rd. I mean, she was so diminutive and so so small and, and, and very elderly and very bent over. She, she barely, she barely um, surfaced above the, the podium, little long, let alone being able to reach the microphone. She was given instructions. The president was there. The vice president was there. Their spouses were there. Members of, the con- of Congress and representatives were there. She was given instructions as to what to say. And yet she spoke the courage of her convictions, and she said this, But I feel that the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion, because it is a war against a child, a direct killing of the innocent child, murdered by the mother herself. By abortion, the mother does not learn to love, but kills even her own child to solve her problems. 
Now that'll get you in trouble. That'll get sweet little old Mother Teresa hated real quick. And that was the problem with Jesus. Jesus, it seems, didn't know any better as how to be politically savvy. He just simply knew how to honor his Father in heaven and therefore be hated for it, even as his Father who sent him on that mission would be hated for it. Imagine the irony of our own day. The irony of our own day in which the worldly crowd claims that they are the tolerant ones. And yet in their unrighteous and infantile state, they are the ones who cannot cope with a reality uh, that they are not the absolute standard of right and wrong. That, that there may be someone who lives and breathes that has a differing take than they do. And so they move to cancel and quiet any viewpoint than their own. This is what I'm talking about when it speaks here in this passage of followers of Christ who will be in the world's crosshairs. Oh, not, not because we have an irritable chip on our shoulders. Not because we have really robust political ambitions to muscle our way through. Not because we have a provocative style about us. No, the real beef must always be Jesus and the Father. Because it is Jesus and the, fa- and the Father and thus us who claim to be their followers who must assent to a different truth claim about morality about justice, about righteousness, about holiness, about virtue, and about love. It is this Jesus whom we claim to be followers of. It is him who who has made the great error of saying that he, he alone is the truth. He, he alone is the way. He, he alone is the life. It is him who said, no one comes to the Father but through me. And as his faithful followers, we must assent to the same truth claim. But when you do, watch out. Because you've just got in the crosshairs of this world who hates the historical Jesus. We are to display in the midst of being in the crosshairs, the sight lines of the world. We are to be, and this is the challenge for us. This is us. This is what we're to do. We are to display love and respect. We are not to be the people who brandish, brand, brand, brandish, who, who, what's that word? Brandish, yeah, there's a D in there, isn't there? Not a physical sword 
for our cause, but the sword of the Spirit, offering reason from the Scriptures to any who would be willing to listen. And yet we're not naive about this. They will hate us. But may they hate us only for the same reasons they hate Jesus. May we be the people who are patient. May we be the people who even in our patience are firm. May we be the people who are not harsh, who are not hostile, who are not haughty. May we be the people who do not use their own methods against them. I think Peter, who was there in the room that night, we can certainly uh, fillet Peter for his own flaws, but I think Peter got it, and and Peter and God's gracious superintendents of the Spirit gave us these words in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 and following, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, that when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? In other words, you got that one coming to you. And believe me, I've, I've, I've had my share of, of that coming to me. This is, this is something different, though. But if When you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Do you you hear what is our calling as we realize the world hates us? It is for this reason you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that, that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. The world will hate us. May they hate us for the same reason they hate Jesus. Because we are beginning to look a lot more like him. Second thing I want to say briefly. There's the resolution. I mean, there's the the realization of of how we relate to the world. They will hate us. And then there's the resolution. Going back to verse 17. Uh, Again, this is transition, but these things I command you so that you will love one another while the world hates followers of Christ. Followers of Christ are to assemble in communities of Christ and and the, the chief activity under the word of God is that followers of Christ are to relate to one another in loving ways. 
Sometimes we want to get ahead of ourselves. Sometimes we want to act smarter than our Lord. And we want to say, now wait a minute, the world needs to straighten it out. Yeah, it, it does in that sense. But do you hear the first thing our Lord says to us? Before you and I are busy about straightening the world out, you and I must be focused on loving each other as followers of Christ. We are to stand under the lordship of Christ. We have different standards than the world does. We have different orders than the world does. We have different, a different direction than the world does. And we are to have different allegiances than the world does. And our allegiances are to invade our affections. And we are to be a people who strive to love one another. It's almost in the wisdom of God as he's saying, you know what? And when you strive to love one another, that, that, that will get into their conscience. That will get into their heart and mind. And honestly, it, in a sense, it'll make a matter than a hornet's nest. Because they are seeing something that is really not there in their own world. He says earlier, if you belong to the world, the, Lord, the world would love you as its own. You know what? That is not a comforting reality. The world is incapable of true, genuine, godly love. So it's, not, it's like, well, I can be loved by the world or I can be loved by the Lord's people. It ought to be very distinct as to which is superior. A second thing. He says there, and as he goes on in chapter, the latter part of chapter 15, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will testify about me. But then he goes on to say, and because you've been with me, you are to testify. You will testify about me. So we are to love one another. That's our resolution to the world. And we, and we are to testify of Christ. Boy, you know what? And maybe this is just because I know myself better than I probably know anybody else. But I don't know a more opinionated person than myself. Now, if you, if you have to put up with me for very long, you realize that not before too long does my uh, uh, opining uh, seep out all over the place. And, um, and sometimes it's just a little thread that me and my three sons have with each other. And so that's fine. We keep it in our little, our little ghetto and it doesn't get out and, and the world is much better. Because you don't realize this. You don't realize this, that, is that I, the, the audacity of me who thinks that I have a legitimate opinion on everything. That's haughty. Second thing is what's even more gross than that is that, that, that I think in, 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 in being smart enough to have an opinion on everything that I think it's great enough that the whole world needs to know my opinion on everything. I point that out because you know what? You and I, just like, just like Paul told uh, Timothy, hey, you're a soldier. Soldiers do not get entangled in civilian affairs, but soldiers live to please the one who has called them. You and I are to belong to Christ. You and I are to have one opinion that really matters above every other opinion, and that is Jesus is Lord. Now, I'm going to tell you, though, that, and this is a political year, this is an election year and all that fun stuff, but you and I ought to have one opinion, which actually in the first century was the most radical political 
statement in the universe. Not Caesar, but Jesus is Lord. What the world ought to see in us is not that we've aligned ourselves with either donkeys or elephants. What the world ought to see is that we are going all in with Jesus and his kingdom. We are to be a people when we use our social media, when we use all of our little outlets to wax and wane brilliantly. We ought to use our media platforms to bear testimony of Jesus. Not... Not the silly stuff that's going to come and go. Oh, sure, it matters. I'm, I'm going to vote in August primary. I'm going to vote in November, Lord willing. These things do matter in that sense. I'm not disputing that. But what I'm saying is that let's not be delusional. Our hopes, our dreams, our peace... Our joy, our strength, our life is not contingent upon the empty and false promises of politicians. Our, our certainty is bent and, and all in with the sure, eternal promises of Jesus. Let's testify of him. And there's a third thing, quickly. Is not only are we to love one another and testify of Christ, but I, I think what he's implied here is we are to make sure we're listening to Christ. He says, I've told you these things so that when they happen, you will not fall away. I've told you these things so that when they happen, you'll know oh, that they happened, just like Jesus said. What he's implying here is that we are to not just testify of Jesus, we better be listening to Jesus. When we gather here on the Lord's Day, it's to be with a resolution that we're here to listen to Jesus. And while I get the most airtime, only listen to me insofar as anything and everything I'd say would correspond with what Jesus said. Don't buy it just because it came out of my lips. It's just an open book test. Prove see that it's from Jesus. Our gatherings, through our singing, through our praying, through the time and the word, the reason why these are to be precious is because they are to be focused upon Jesus. They are to be word-centered. Because this week we will leave out of here with the words of Jesus, as the Father has sent me to the world, so I have sent you to the world and we have listened to Jesus, we pray this morning, that then we would give good testimony of Jesus this day, this week. And then hurry up and gather back here next Lord's Day to listen some more. So that we get fresh strength and fresh grace and fresh joy to give testimony some more. May our witness of Jesus be faithful. You remember when Peter first kind of encountered Jesus? In a sense, Peter felt the stinging indictment of God's condemnation and guilt. He actually told Jesus, depart from me. Get away from me, for I am a sinful man. You see, 
we know we're on to something when we see Jesus and all of his purity and all of his righteousness. We now see the true plumb line, the absolute level of holiness and righteousness, and we feel our condemnation. And, and, and there's a part of us at that moment who says, I don't belong with that guy. And yet, by the powerful work of God's Spirit, perhaps there's the voice of the Spirit that says, oh, yes, you do. Turn to Him. Come to Jesus. The one whom you've actually offended with your sin, the one that I've offended with my sin, is actually the one who has intentionally laid down His life for us to take away our sin to take away its guilt, to take away our condemnation, and to not just do those things, but in a positive uh, sense to pardon us and to allow us to be welcomed into God's family so that we are now well-loved children indwelt by the very Spirit of God. Turn to Christ. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that there is no word quite like your word We pray that you would help us this morning. Help us to look to Jesus, to listen to him. And out of that, may we love one another just as he told us. And may we bear testimony of him just as he told us. And Father, may we do all of those things because we are your happy, grateful people. Because of what Jesus has done for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Let's stand and sing.